You're listening to Connect Communities Podcast, recorded live in Stamford, Connecticut. If you'd like to know more about our community, stop by our website at www.connectcommunity.tv. Enjoy the message. This very day, some of you don't know, I wasn't born in this country. This very day is the anniversary of my citizenship. America, 10 years ago, yeah, I took some time. I was a resident for a while. I didn't want to pay the fees. I did, I did pay my taxes, though. <laughs> but once my daughter was born, I was like, I'm not playing with this. We're going to get it done. <laughs> hey, I want to honor our teams. Everybody who serves in our team. Can we just clap for our teams? We have amazing people who put this service together. Outside, you see flags. We, we got people there. You know, Kevin was out there today taking flags. And we have the, yeah, Kevin and his son Evan, they're awesome. Uh, we have people in the lobby. Mariella leads a great team who do all of our first impressions. And, you know, this is a new facility, so we're learning things. We're ordering some things to make it great for you guys as you come in so you can experience God and also good community. We love that this space here, uh, uh, you know, we have a good lobby area where we could just connect. So we love that as a church to just be able to be with each other. And, uh, and then I want to highlight the kids team. Alini has been doing a great job with our kids team, and we're expanding. Today is actually the first day before, uh, since COVID that we, we opened up our nursery. So yeah, little babies, see parents here, <laughs> free daycare, guys, just bring your babies. You know, we got brand new toys, everything clean uh, in our nursery. So uh, she's been working hard with Paola and some of uh, uh, the other team members uh, who are there um, as well. So everybody who's in the kids team, it's so many ladies who help make it amazing. Uh, and I just, I just love that. Is the church rising again? Not from the ashes, but from the COVID seclusion. <laughs> yeah. And here we are. Awesome. I already talked about next week. So let's get with the message. Uh, I don't speak too long. Uh, just about three hours. Uh, <laughs> now, this message will be about 30 minutes or so. Um, and so I want to share with you a thought um, that, that is part of this new series. We're starting a new series today titled The Five Fundamentals of Greatness. And we have an awesome graphic that you can imagine in your mind uh, that <laughs> would have come on the screen right now. Five Fundamentals of Greatness. And uh, these are character essentials. These are things that, that will change you from the inside out. But we just want to highlight these five things because we believe that if you, if you pay attention to these five things, you will, you will get to greatness. You will, you will become the person that God has called you to be. So to make them memorable, they all start with the letter G. I have a very dad joke for this. I'm not going to say it. They all start with the letter G. And, uh, and they're not necessarily in order of importance, except for today. Today's uh, message is, I would say, we're talking about the most important topic for this series, um, because it's out of this one thing that all the other things will flow. So today I want to talk about the fundamental of godliness, the fundamental of godliness, if you're taking notes. Again, on the app, you have the ability to take notes, you have the ability to fill in the blanks and, um, and get that set for you. See, godliness is important. I think godliness is one of those words that might be strange, right? Might sound strange to you, especially if you didn't grow up in church. 
Godliness is not something that you, you typically would think about. Uh, but even if you are a, ch- a church person or you, you've been exposed to church for a little bit, godliness is not something that you, th- you would say that you've mastered, right? You don't really, you don't really walk up in, into, uh, to a person and say, yes, I'm a godly person without feeling like you're saying, yeah, I'm better than you, right? Like when we, when we think about godliness, it's something that seems so unattainable or far from us. We tend to feel like assuming this kind of identity eliminates humility or puts us in a different place, uh, like in, almost like a non-human kind of living. Yet everything we learn from the scriptures, from the beginning to the end of scriptures, involves the pursuit of godliness. It's God calling us to be godly. Every time God spoke to the people of Israel, saying that they would be His people and that He would be their God, He was calling them to godliness. Every time God used a prophet to rebuke and encourage kings and leaders in the past, He was calling them toward godliness. Every time Jesus told somebody, hey, you go and you sin no more. What He was doing is He was calling them higher. He was calling them toward godliness. Every time the Apostle Paul wrote in his letters and he said, hey, imitate me. Just do what I do. Imitate me as I imitate Christ. He was calling them toward godliness. See, more than a quality, godliness is a pursuit. It's something we pursue, something we go after. And it should be constantly in our minds, this idea of godliness. Because it's out of the flow of a life that is aware of God, that godliness comes. Out of a flow of a life that is aware of His sovereignty. Now this is a word that, I, like I said, it may sound religious to you. I get it. If you grew up atheist or if you grew up agnostic, godliness is a word that it's not, it was not in your vocabulary. It was something weird, like in an out out of your scope, right? But even if you grew up in church, especially if you grew up Pentecostal or on, or on a, a, a culture that's more legalistic, a legalistic tradition like my parents grew up in that, godliness is a word that you feared. It wasn't an encouraging word. It's a word that was used mostly to rebuke, hey, you're not living a godly life. Um, so I want to ask you to wash your minds, whatever your background is, whatever your your typical thinking of godliness is, I want to ask you to just eliminate all the negative connotations and start fresh in your mind to this word. Because godliness, simply put, is the chief characteristic of a person who pursues God and desires to be like God. I don't mean that you desire to be God, that you want worship, glory, attention. I mean that you desire to be like God. You want His virtues. You want His goodness. You want His character. You want the things of God to be the things of you. The pursuit of knowing God. It involves devotion. It involves dedication. It involves becoming like God. And that affects every single part of you. Now if we look at Godliness with fresh eyes today... I believe we will realize that this is the pursuit of many of us. This is the pursuit of your friends, 
regardless of their religious affiliation. This is the pursuit of people who want to do better. And my goal today is not only to clarify what godliness is, but is to help you desire to be godly. Is that by the end of today, you'll be like, you know what? I want to be godly. I actually want that in my life. I actually want godliness in my life. So before we talk about godliness um, or the pursuit of godliness, we, may, we have to answer a question. Because this is an important question that you will come across. The question is this. Why does godliness matter at all? Why does it matter to me? Why does it matter to you? So a few months ago, I was with a group of friends uh, in a remote area in a different state. And uh, it was a time of regrouping, a time of rest, a time of prayer. And uh, we had some fun activities also scheduled for the time that we were there. And one of them was target shooting. Now, I know, you know people have different feelings about guns. Uh, I've gone target shooting a few times. I enjoy it. So I, I hope it's not offensive to anybody. But I have a point with the story is that we were shooting with a rifle. And I was aiming at a target that was about 200 yards away. We were on this empty field. And there was a mountain bank. Uh, in the back, and the, the target was really far away, and we were all taking turns and trying to hit the target, and um, I, I, I held the rifle, and I'm looking through the scope, and I'm not a great shot, but I'm, I'm, I'm okay. Like, I, I should be able to hit that, that target, even though it was far away, and I was missing it. Every time, like, I took the first shot, missed it, second shot, missed it, and I'm like, I should be hitting this thing. I mean, it's not a massive target, but I should be hitting this target. And, uh, and so the, the, the guy that was with us, he saw that I started getting frustrated. So he came in and he said, hey, the scope is really hard to, to adjust precisely when, when it's this far of a shot. You just have to learn how the scope works. And this scope, you have to imagine that you're shooting about a foot or a foot and a half below the target for you to hit it. It's centered, but it's not like the level, the height level is not right. So I just made that simple adjustment. And I hit it every time. Each one of us were, were doing 10 shots. And I, all the consecutive six shots I was hitting it, you just could hear the 10, ping, 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 every time. With that small adjustment, that's all that needed for me to hit the target. Now, even though the scope gave me the ability to hit the target, and I was able to adjust the aim to hit the target, Many times what we do is we, we get too concerned about the aim. And we forgot that it's not just about having an aim. It's important to know where to aim. If I didn't know where to aim, I wouldn't know that the scope was wrong. In other words, instead of giving, if, if instead of giving me a target, the guide said, hey, you see this mountain bank? It's enormous. You can shoot anywhere. Just don't hit the trees or any animals. Just go have, have fun. I wouldn't be able to hit any, because if, you, if you're going to hit everywhere, it doesn't matter where you're hitting, right? It doesn't matter if you have a good aim or not. The same is true about life. The target determines how well you can aim. And godliness in this situation, in this analogy, is the target. You can think of godliness if you're going to think of godliness, you have to think about the direction of your life. That's what godliness implies. It has to do with the direction of your life. So what target are you aiming at? What target is your life 
pointing at? Do you want to be a person of integrity? Do you want to become someone who does the right thing at the right time? Do you want to be loving? Do you want to be kind? Do you want to be someone who uh, is respectful, who adds to the world? Then your aim and your target also matter. Because even if you don't get it right every time, your target is the general direction of your life. It's where you're pointing your life. And this is, this is, this is one thing that we've got to think about. If you're aiming at peace, you're going to get peace. If you're aiming at chaos, you're going to get chaos. If you're aiming at debt, you're going to get debt. If you're aiming at love, you're going to get love. If you're aiming at growth, guess what's going to happen? You'll grow. Your life right now is getting the results that you have aimed it to. The problem we have today is that everyone is working on their aim. Everybody is concerned about their aim. We talk a lot about our aim. We focus on our aim. But nobody wants to talk about the importance of the target. And this is what I mean by that. We talk about discipline. It's important to be disciplined. That's very good. Of course it is. But we don't talk about the discipline toward love. We don't give a specific target to our discipline. We talk about being good and being kind. But no one defines what is good. No one has gives specificity to what kindness is. We all tell everybody, you got to do the right thing. But nobody dares to say what the right thing is. Because defining the right thing is offensive. It could be offensive to people if you say this is right and this is wrong. And here's the chief reason why godliness matters for everyone, not just church people. Because we learn in Romans 3.23, it says this, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Very well-known scripture. Now, I've shared this uh, here many times, and I'll say it again. This word sin has become this regal, religious, very, uh, uh, you know, uh, I, I would say religious word. But it's a very practical word in the scriptures. This word is a sporting word. It's, it's a, and the Bible is full of sporting terms, actually. But, you know, it talks about running the race and, and, and keeping your eyes on the prize. And, uh, but Paul, while Paul is using uh, this, this, this scripture here, he's talking about sin, this word. Uh, it, it's the same as saying in our terms today, like, we all have dropped the ball. We have all have fumbled. We all have striked out. What he's saying is, we all have missed the mark. See, the word sin is the word hamartia in the Greek. And it means that for, for, it's an archery term where archers would try to hit the bullseye and they would miss it. It doesn't even mean that they miss the target altogether. It means that they didn't hit the bullseye. You missed the bullseye. And that, that was called a sin. And what Paul is saying is, we've all sinned. Sometimes we go like, yeah, I've sinned, but I, you know, I, I do a little thing here and there, maybe a white lie or you know, make a joke or I get mad sometimes. But you know, I'm overall a good person. And what we learn is that, yeah, we're, we're good people. Most of us, we think we're good people. But even within the scope of our lives, we have missed it. And we know we've missed it. And we all have missed it. But the scripture and the gospel doesn't leave us there. That's why godliness is important. Hebrews chapter 4, verses 15 and 16 says this. For we do not have a high priest, talking about Jesus, who is unable to sympathize with, with our weaknesses. Very important. But one who is in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Jesus can sympathize with us. 
He knows what it is like to be tempted. He knows what it is like to miss the mark, yet he never missed it. He hit the bullseye every single time. He never told a lie. He never gave his heart to anger. He never sinned. He continues. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace. We're going to come back to this word grace in a minute. That we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. It is in time of need that we come to Christ. It is in time of need that we pursue godliness. Now the author of this letter is telling the church that Jesus not only can sympathize with our sin, but he meets us as we are, as I said. And not only that, he can lead us, lead us away from the kind of life that we, we're living. He can help us hit the target. He can help us find the right target and hit it. And because Jesus never missed the bullseye, he is the perfect one. In other words, he calls us to live like him. He leads us and he teaches us to be like him in every way. And the pursuit of godliness is the pursuit and devotion toward the perfect one. It says looking at Christ and saying, I want to be like you. I want to become better. I want to grow. God, who is the perfect one. And as we pursue it, you know, we're, that's what we're aiming at. We're aiming at perfection. And the reality is this. If you think about the world, the secular world, the, the world without God, apart from God, the world doesn't have any sample of perfection. You can't look at something and say, that's perfect. I want to be like that. You can't. You have no perfection to aim toward. All the world has is pits to avoid. Without God, all we have is don't shoot at the wrong target. That's all it is. It doesn't give us a target. The world doesn't give us a target to aim at. It just says don't do horrible things. Don't do the wrong thing. In other words, the, the world's mantra really is as long as you don't hurt anybody, you can do anything. And it sounds like freedom. It sounds like, man, this is, this is liberty. As long as I don't hurt anybody, I could do anything. But really, that's the bar? That's the bar that you want to live by? Not hurting anybody? That's a pretty low bar. That's no target. That's not giving you something to aim at. That's like saying you can aim at anything. Just don't, you know, hurt anybody. You know what I think about? I think about a pinata at a birthday party. Have you actually given some thought to a pinata? Not picking on Mexico, okay? <laughs> think about a pinata, right? Parents come to little Johnny. Little Johnny is turning six years old. And they say, little Johnny, we want to give you some candy today. You're six. We're going to celebrate you. We're going to give you some candy. But not so fast, buddy. You know, there's this amazing game that the, our friends from the south came up with and i want to show you we're going to get all your candy and we're going to put it in a fuzzy box but you can't get it from the box not with your hands anyways we're going to we're, we're going to blindfold you and we're going to hang it somewhere okay and then we're going to spin you around and you're not going to go look for the box we're going to give you a baseball bat and you're going to swing it anywhere okay Oh, by the way, when you get the candy, good for you, but don't hit anybody. Don't hit anybody when you have that baseball bat in your hand. 
We're going to spin you 10 times, and you're going to go at it, okay? Isn't that terrifying? <laughs> it's funny for everybody watching. But this is what I think about when I think about, hey, you could do anything as long as you don't hurt anybody. What are the chances that you're going to hurt people, that you're going to hurt yourself? They are large, and we see it everywhere in the world. Why? Because without God, you don't have a direction for what is good. You hope to hit the pinata. You hope to get some candy along the way. But you just swing blindly because there's no sample of perfection. All we know is horrors to avoid. See, without going too deep into this philosophical idea of no, there's no good without God, there's really no way to, if you, if you just think about it, there's no way to get to good without a moral center, without something saying this is good and this is bad. If, if, if we don't have that, then good is just a matter of opinion. Right is just a matter of opinion. And that's life without God, is a life without definition of what is good for you and what is right for you. And that's why godliness matters, because godliness points to what is right according to God's idea of what is right for you. We all know that we need to avoid tragedy. We all know that we need to avoid death. We all know that you did, we need to avoid sorrow. But how can we find perfection, something to aim toward without God? We can't. And that's why godliness matters. This is what the Apostle Paul wrote to Timothy. 1 Timothy uh, chapter 3, verses 15 and 16. He said this, Great indeed, we confess, is the mystery of godliness. And here he defines the mystery of godliness. He, Jesus, was manifested in the flesh, vindicated by the Spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, taken up in glory. When he defines godliness, the mystery of, of godliness, he describes the life of Jesus. I find that in, extremely interesting that the scriptures define the mystery of godliness in the person of Jesus. It's not only interesting, it is very useful. It is very practical because it's not some ab abstract idea that you have to kind of concoct and, and try to, to put together like some weird recipe that you don't have the ingredients for. It is a person that you can look at and, and you can see the example and you can live as. You can live according to that person. You can follow that person. And that's what we aim at when we look at godliness. When we decide to be godly, we aim to live like Jesus. That's a clear target. That's a very clear target. That's not, that's not swinging a bat blindfolded. That is knowing where your life is aimed at. That's a clear purpose and a clear goal. There's no confusion there. So you tell me, which one is better if you apply this to different areas in your life? Let's say your marriage. Which one is better for your marriage? To aim at perfect love, the, love, the kind of love that God leads us to? Or to aim at, as long as we don't get divorced, then everything is good. How about friendships, your relationships with, with your family, with your parents? Should you, should you aim at perfect brotherhood, sisterhood, perfect love according to what God leads us? Or should you say, as long as I'm not gossiping, as long as we're not fighting, as long as we're not hurting each other? What about in business, in your career? Should you aim at integrity 
at the common good? Should you aim to live in, in a way that is, is full of character and, 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 and as, as an example? Or should you say, as long as I don't lose all my money, as long, as long as I get to keep this job, I think it's time for us to raise the bar, and that's what godliness does. See, Christ as our aim is the greatest argument for godliness that anyone needs. It really is. It's way better than do whatever you want as long as you don't hurt anybody. See, I don't want to do whatever I want. Because I, I messed up. I sin. I'm flawed. I miss the mark all the time. I don't want to do whatever I want. If I do that, I don't have any friends. I don't do whatever I want. I'd I'd be eating McDonald's every day. (laughs) Those fries. I'd wreck my marriage, my family, and I'd die for them. I love him, but I, I wouldn't be able to help it. Why? Because we can't have a clear vision of what is good for us. That's the whole story of Genesis. You can't have a clear idea of what is good for us when we are just left to our devices and we don't have the clarity of God in our lives. If I'll do whatever I want, I'll have pineapple on pizza. And everybody knows that that's a sin. No? Do you have pineapple pizza people here? Yeah? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's a joke. My wife loves pineapple on pizza. See, I want to do whatever God wants me to do. I want to love like he loves. I want to see people the way he sees people. I want to forgive and let go the way he leads leads me to. I want to live like he lives. So let's say I convinced you. Godliness matters. You believe that that's better than the alternative. There's two more questions that we need to answer. The first is, is godliness for perfect people only? Because that's the other thing, right? I'm, I'm, I don't know if I can aim at that. Like, my, JD, oh, you're up there and, and you're a pastor and, you know, maybe that's more for you, your speed. But if you knew where I was last week, if you knew what I've been involved in, if you, if you knew my past, if you knew what I'm trying to get out of, oof, I don't think it's for me. See, godliness is not perfectionism. We have to make this distinction. Godliness is not you being perfect in your own strength. Godliness is not even you presenting yourself as perfect before God. Godliness is the pursuit. Is you understanding that God is calling you somewhere away from where you are. Somewhere better. That He's calling you to shape your life according to what He has for you. It's a matter of trust. Opening your heart and saying, yes, God, I want to be like you. The idea that having godliness as a target also can be attractive to a lot of us, but also stressful because some of us are perfectionists. And I include myself in that. And at times, I'm very hard on myself. And if you are a perfectionist, perfectionist, you're very hard on yourself too. You're really hard on yourself every time you do wrong. You blame yourself for everything that goes wrong with you, with your family, with your kids, with with your loved ones. If a family member is struggling, the first thought you have is, what, what, where did I miss? Like, it's probably my fault. If I, could do, if, I, if I could be just a little bit better, if I have gotten things right, then they wouldn't be going through this. I could, I could rescue them. I could, I could solve their problem. Your kids are sick. It's your fault because you're, you're not a good parent or 
you didn't do the right thing or if, if you're a perfectionist, you, you struggle with this. And let me free you from that problem right now. That's not what godliness is. It's not you trying to become perfect in your own strength. It is you in your imperfection allowing his perfect life to enter your heart and change you and call you out of dark, darkness into his marvelous light. This is what Paul wrote to Titus in chapter 2, verses 11 and 12. It says this, For the grace of God has appeared. And this is where that word grace comes back to us. Bringing salvation for all people. Which people? All people. That includes you. Training us. I love that word, training us. To renounce ungodliness and worldly passions. Worldly passions. To live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. And so many of us have lived in our past or even in our recent past, trapped in ungodliness. And maybe you've been there for a long, long time. You wanted to hit the target, but every time you aimed, you missed. And maybe you even had the right target, but you just couldn't hit it. Something was wrong. And you didn't have the revelation. You didn't know what was wrong. You couldn't control your spending. You couldn't control your temper. You couldn't control your tongue. You couldn't control your appetite. You couldn't control your sexuality. You couldn't control your greed. And you were trapped in that, in that life. You were enamored by worldly passions. You were attracted to it. It looked good. But here's what always happens. The world always over-promises and under-delivers. It's always a deception. And you were deceived into those temptations again and again, like Eve in the garden. You couldn't see that it wasn't good for you. But then, then your heart turned to God. Something happened on the inside. Your heart opened for the life of Christ. And Christ opened your eyes. And He opened your eyes and saved you. He didn't save you when you got perfect. He didn't call you out when you were doing good. He, he met you where you were in your sins while you were missing the mark. God saved you as you were fumbling, as you were dropping the ball. You were firing those arrows and you were missing. And Christ met you there in your mess. He rescued you. He rescued you. And that's what grace means. Grace means that he took you from where you were. And he rescued you. And he gave you strength to overcome. To become someone new. To become like him. He did, he did it for you. He did it for me. He did it for us. And we didn't deserve it. And just like this passage in Titus. The grace of God. That which we didn't deserve. Began to train you. To train you to let go of those things that were holding you back. You are not the same person you were. Because the grace of God reached you and said, Hey, you don't have to live like this anymore. You don't have to be trapped like this anymore. You don't have to lie like this anymore. You don't have to give your body to this person like this anymore. You don't have to try to compensate for your mistakes anymore. You don't need people's appreciation and, and people's approval like that anymore. You are your own person. I'm making you new you don't need to depend on those negative relationships those toxic relationships anymore you don't need that kind of attention anymore he rescued us from an ungodly life and he brought us 
to the kind of life that he has for us. And then it comes the last question. If he can do that for us, what is our part? What do we do? How do we pursue godliness practically? The Apostle Paul, he shares what happened to him in a compelling way in, uh, in Philipp Philippians. See, he was a teacher. He was a religious man. He wasn't a wicked man. He wasn't somebody who was giving himself to all of his passions. He, on the contrary, he was a zealous person. He was a religious person. He was one of those people that if he caught you doing wrong, he would tell you what, what, what is right. But he had the wrong target all along. He didn't realize he had the wrong target until that road to Damascus when Jesus met him and showed him that he had the wrong target. So this is what's wild. Like we can, we can pray prayers. We can be religious and still have the wrong target. And there's a lot of people that they're religious, but they're religious about the wrong things. And God is calling us not to be religious about the wrong things. He's calling us to himself. And that's what happened to Paul. Look at what he said. This is a, I want you to, to think about this, not from a perspective of somebody who was living apart from God, but from somebody who was raised to love God and did it wrong. This is what he said, Philippians chapter 3, verse 7. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. See, when you aim at godliness, you're going to have to let go of your other aims. In other words, he was saying, I'm... I'm, I'm aiming at Christ, and I had to let go of everything else. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For His sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own. That was the mistake that he had before. His righteousness was his own. That comes from the law but that which comes, from faith, uh, that comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. Paul discovered the eternal kind of life. He found in Christ a kind of life that is connected to God, not by his own strength, but by the life of Christ. And so he said, I'm going to do anything I need to do. Whatever it's needed for me to live this kind of life. The life that transcends the temporary. And I want you to think about your life. How dedicated are you to the kind of life that is higher than what is temporary? Think about this. Is money temporary or eternal? Are houses temporary or eternal? Is status temporary or eternal? Now, is faith temporary or eternal? Of course, it's eternal, right? Is love temporary or eternal? It is eternal. Hope is is eternal. A life with God is eternal. It is a higher thing. And that's what Paul is saying. I turned my back on everything that I used to think was for ultimate gain. Those things became second. And I oriented my life to this beautiful target of pursuing Christ and becoming like Him. And that is the call for every single person. That's where you will find who you are. That's where you'll find your purpose. Now, did Paul stop working? Did he just quit his job and said, this is all earthly and temporary? I'm not. No. He still be, continued to be a tent maker. He was still providing for himself. For himself. He still made a living. He still, had, he still needed to eat. He still needed a place to live. So you will still work. You still pursue your career. You still do what you need to do to provide for your family. You still pursue the things that are needed for you to exist. But the highest things, 
the highest things that occupy your mind and the ultimate things in your heart are not these things. And that is what we are called to do. And that's what godliness is, is your full awareness of what rules your heart. What rules your heart? Is it the things of God or is it the things of the world? For the godly, it is the things of God. And if you do that, then you are a godly person, one who pursues godliness. And that's what godliness is, a pursuit of the eternal things. Then he gives us the practical steps. Uh, verse 12 of the, this, of the same chapter, he says, Not that I have already obtained this, he's talking about perfection, or that I am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. I have been embraced. I have been forgiven. I've been brought out of darkness into the marvelous light. So because Christ has embraced me, I want to be like him. I want to live for him. I want to show his love into the world. I want, to, I want to share with the world the life that he has given me. And I don't do this in my own strength. It is about being embraced by the life of Christ, receiving his life, his joy, his goodness. He continues, brothers, I do not consider that I have made him my own. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. Forgetting what lies behind and straining forward for, to what lies ahead. Some of, you, some of you, this is a great practice for you to adopt. Because godliness is looking forward. Godliness means you forget the past. You forget your old ways. You forget that you used to be an addict. You forget that you were a gossip. You forget that you were controlled by your temper. You forget that you were abusive. You forget that you were dominated by anger. You forget all that. And what do you embrace? You look toward hope. You fix your eyes on Jesus, on Christ. And you allow the life of God to flow through you like rivers of living water. And as you do that, everyone around you will sense the life of God. And you will bless the world. He will wash away your impurity. And He will bless others through you, bursting with new life. Allowing yourself to be renewed as you forget what is behind. And you press on to what is, what is ahead. He says, I press on toward the goal of the prize of the upward call in Jesus Christ. Let me encourage you to keep your eyes on the prize. Let me encourage you with this scripture to be like God. And remember, pursuing godliness is, is a target, is the target of our lives, is, is, what, is what you sh should orient your life. Godliness matters because it points to God's perfection. And it gives us a better target, the best target, but a much better target than the world gives us. Godliness is not just for perfect people. It's for you. It's for all who sinned. It's for people like us. Because God is the perfect one. And finally, pursue it daily. Remember to call on to God, to desire to be like Him. You do that through prayer. You do that through scriptures. But you also do that to just a full awareness of what is godly in your life. And continue to pursue that. If you do that, if you pursue godliness, I believe that you will reach greatness. And you will become the person God has called you to be. You will shine in dark places and bring the goodness of God in the places where they, have seen, they haven't seen it. And you will shine His light for all to see. In Jesus' name, do you receive it this morning? Amen. Amen. Awesome.